the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh High fly ball into right field. She is gone. The drives one. I, for one, am tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting for the postseason to end just so I can get to the hot stove. And then the hot stove sits cold for like a week and a half. I'm tired of this. Uh, I want to see some action. The Phillies, you know, trade Bryce Harper. Angels, trade Mike Trout. Otani, make a freaking decision already. It's November 10-11, the second weekend in November, and I'm done sitting around Toiling my thumbs, waiting for some baseball news to occur. Um, and I'm not going to apologize for that. Uh, this is the FSS Plus podcast. Jason Churchill, Casey Bellin. Uh, nothing's happening, man. Like, nothing's happening, Mr. Bellin. Like, and we talked before we hit record on the show. Like, there's not tons to talk about, but this is our job. This is what we do. We, we figure it out. The things that are interesting to us is what we're going to get to. And we hope that it's interesting to all of you. Um, but I want something to happen. We've seen a couple of minor trades and claims, and really right now it's about like QO decisions, November 14. Uh, November 17 is the deadline for teams to tender contracts to club-controlled players, including arbitration eligibles, uh, and we're actually going to talk about that on the show today. Um, arbitration decisions that will impact the free agent market, and there are some interesting ones Um where you got to think there's a trade or non-tender situation coming. So we'll go through that. Um, You also want to talk about uh, teams that can kind of go from zero to hero in 2024. Teams that weren't contenders really at all in 2023 that have a legitimate chance to contend in 2024. And we'll talk about how that looks. Now, Casey Bellin wrote uh, uh, Division by Division, Uh, which really plays into this conversation, Casey, about how teams that uh, didn't get to the playoffs in 2023, how they get there, and in some cases, how those teams get back. The teams we've chosen. So what what Casey and I decided to do was, uh, Casey, you choose an NL team, and Church, you choose an AL team, and Casey chose the Cardinals, which are a really interesting club, uh, can go in a lot of directions, and I chose Boston. Uh, I almost chose Detroit, but I chose Boston. I think it's a better conversation. Um, so we'll go over that uh, as well. And if anything breaks during the recording of this show, we will delete the entire show that we just recorded and record a brand new one. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. Yeah, we'll I think we're going to get done here as soon as we're done. And I hit publish on this. Something's happening. Cody Bellinger is going to sign or something. Yep. Nine-team trade. Nine-team 74-player trade. A cross-sport deal, <laughs> like the Phillies. The Phillies traded Kyle Schwarber to the Sandy or the uh, Los Angeles Chargers for, you know, Keenan Allen or whatever. Yeah, you know, we're gonna see something really strange. Or Rob Manfred will say something stupid. Well, that would well, be, probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not exactly the same as uh, a cross-sport trade. I wish that was a thing, though. To be honest with you, a cross-sport trade, I mean, that would be amazing. 
so yeah, so there's always baseball to talk about. There's always decisions to be made basically year round. Sometimes we go a little slow in November. Sometimes it gets a little slow in January, February as we wait for um, spring training to, to open. And then sometimes it gets boring, you know, relatively speaking during spring training. I'm not a big spring training game fan, Casey. Um, when spring training comes, I'm kind of like, all right, can we just be done with this right now? Like, like I'm losing, like I've never had patience for that. Uh, in my older age, I'm starting to lose patience in general. And I was actually just having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, yesterday, Robin. And I was like, look, if you're bragging about having patience, traffic came up, right? That was the conversation. Like nobody likes to be in traffic, right? And she was like, yeah, I just like, I've just basically developed the patience for it. And I was like, well, here's what Jason Churchill does. He tries to find a way to avoid the need for patience. <laughs> if there's a, a patience required element to this, I'm probably going to find a way out of it. Um, so I don't know. I got to find a way to hibernate, I guess. When baseball gets slow, I guess that's, you know, what I'm getting to here. See, but then, but then I asked you the other day, we talked about if you're going to spring training or not. And you said you are. I believe. Yes, but here's the thing. I will not watch one single big league game. So you're not going shaking my head right now. To no, watch I will I will spend the no, I will spend the entire time in the backfield watching the minor leaguers. I will not go to yeah. one single big league game. Not one single thing. It will be baseball all day, you know, from, from basically nine AM to like basically one or two in the afternoon when the minor leaguers walk off the field for the day and then I'll go goof off or whatever. But I'm not going to one the plan is to not go to one big league game. Not that I'm specifically trying to avoid it, but it's not what interests me. So if, if it's backfields all day and surprise or Peoria or whatever it is, um and there's a night game somewhere that's interesting, fine. Then, well, then I'll go to a big league game, but backfields first. And that's not why I go to it's not why I go to spring training. That's why I also don't go really early. Minor league camp is not full for like two or three weeks after major league camp opens. You get that February 15 date or 12th or 17th or whatever it is. And then two or three weeks later, the minor leaguers are supposed to report. It's a completely different schedule. You you won't find Churchill in Peoria. Uh February 26th or anything, you know, I'm not spending my birthday down there, you know, Churchill's, get out of here. Churchill's patience only extends to non big league guys prospects. That's it. I mean, it's not even really patience. Like that's not really a patience interest. interest. I'm literally just, yeah, it's an interesting, you're right. It is. Uh, I'm not interested in watching, you know, uh, I don't know, Freddie Freeman get two at bats against fringe major leaguers and then walk down the right field line and go home. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I'm also big, by the way, and you've heard me say this before. I know you have. Fans think teams base roster decisions on spring training performances, and they don't. But teams let fans think that by saying things like, if he has a good spring, but it actually doesn't really, it's not really about like, did he hit 300 in camp or did he, you know, did he strike out a bunch of guys in his opportunities? It's really the whole ball of wax. Like, what was his pedigree coming in? What's the trend? Where's he at in his development? Um, does he project? And did he throw strikes and did he execute in spring? It's the whole package. Uh, spring training is such a tiny sample. Hitters get what, 30 or 40 at bats? Um, you know, starters pitch 20 innings maximum. Um, you know what I mean? Like that's not going to convince a club. Well, this guy, this is the dude, right? Like it's the whole thing. So I don't, I don't need to see that. 
I don't need to see that at all. People complain because uh, not enough spring training games are on television. Are you one of those people, by the way, that you wish more spring training games were on television? No. No. Yeah. I, I, I almost could care less about spring training, really. Yeah. And I could too, but I do enjoy the backfield stuff. I, I like to see the player development uh, staff work with the kids, uh, see how they react. I do have fun doing that. It's just something I enjoy. The big league guys are whatever. I'm, I'm done with them. <laughs> I'm done with them. Uh, the only reason I like spring training is because it means we're closer to regular season baseball. Absolutely. It does. You're right. That's a good point. It does signify, hey, real meaningful, <laughs> so to speak, is coming. Uh, anyway, so here we are in the winter. We're early in the, the hot stove process. I'd say the hot stove is lukewarm at best because it's basically just buzz and talk. But there are going to be some arbitration decisions that come up in the next, I mean, it can happen at any point, but the deadline for that is November uh, 17. And every club has a handful, at least, of arbitration decisions that are at least somewhat interesting. Um, so I thought Casey and I would just kind of roll down this list a little bit and look at some of the, uh, and it's mostly advanced numbers. Uh, and we'll just go down alphabetically, you know, by team nickname and uh, and talk about the guys who might be non-tender candidates or trade candidates based on the arbitration projection. And we're using MLB Trade Rumors uh, arbitration projections. You can find that at uh, MLBTradeRumors.com. It's one of their uh, one of their top uh, stories. Uh, they do a really good job of projecting these. They're not exactly right, but they're usually really, really close. Uh, and it's certainly good enough to use in these types of circumstances. So right at the top of this list, Casey, is the is the Angels. And nothing really stands out to me there. Uh, Luis Rangipo has a, a, a 4.2 million uh, projection. Uh, Taylor Ward at 4.5. Patrick Sandoval at 5. Everybody else is under 3. To me, nothing really stands out there. I don't imagine anything stands out for you there either. So if we move on to the Astros, there's a couple of really interesting ones. Um, the first one is Fromber Valdez, and the other one is Kyle Tucker. Both are... Uh, projected to get over $12 million in arbitration. Now, I'm not suggesting the Astros, the uh, the defending division champs, or the, you know, the two years ago they won the World Series, six years ago they won the World Series. Like, you know, like that's not a team, and they do spend a little. They're not going to non-tender either of those core players. But might this, and I'm not even necessarily suggesting trade either, although I could see that as well with one of those guys. Um, but could there be some sort of extension talks here? They've extended guys. It's kind of, you know, how they do things. Tucker is going to be more of a big ticket guy. He's got, uh, he's got two years of control left. He's going to be really, really expensive, uh, in the first year of that at $12.6 million. Now the Astros can house that. Um, and the 12 million for Valdez, the Astros can house that. It's fine. But obviously they'd like to get those guys to some level extended and maybe lessen the hit over the next two years of those uh of those salaries uh really curious to see if something gets done with the new gm there in uh, in houston but it doesn't look like anyone else on that houston roster is really uh, uh worth that conversation at this point jose arquiti uh 3.5 dubon three million dollars uh abreu two million Chaz mccormick a little over three million uh there's nothing else really interesting there i, I can't imagine uh the astros really putting tucker or valdez out on the trade market at this point um, 
they're really part of their core. Kyle Tucker's really come on the last three years. The Athletics, really not a whole lot going on there. I could see him trading Paul Blackburn, Casey. We've talked about Paul Blackburn as a kind of a good back-end starter that can cover some innings. Uh, and because it's the Athletics and because of their situation, $3 million, sure, they can house it. But I could see him getting moved as well. Um, the Blue Jays, though, when you look at that list, Casey, on the Blue Jays, what's the very first thing that stands out when you look at that list? The Toronto Blue Jays arbitration eligibles and the projected numbers on that club. Yeah, gosh, it's got to be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at $20 million, doesn't it? Right. And it's not because you think no way did they pay him $20 million. It's because it's kind of a big number. It's essentially the, the QO number for free agents. And he wasn't really that good last year. He really wasn't. Um, I don't have his numbers in front of me, and I'll pull them up. But I have to think, like, at very least, and I, and I know Toronto wants to add to their club and not subtract to their club. This is just a very interesting situation. Do the so Blue it, Jays so just – do they just pay it and just – like, I, I don't imagine they're just sitting around just thinking one track. We're just going to tender them, pay them whatever that number ends up being, and we'll worry about everything else later. It's $20 million, and he was worth one win last year. So if, if, if you're going to pay $20 million a win, that's not good business. Um, so obviously, obviously they're going to have a pedigree help. like that. Yeah, you're thinking there's more there, right? Yeah, and he has been back, a lot better. Back, right? You know he has. But $20 bucks, man. Like, And if you're thinking, what about an extension? Well, what is that worth? Like, what is he? Like, you look back at uh, the 2021 season was his first full season at the big league level where he spent the entire season in the majors. I broke in just a couple of weeks into the season uh, or whatever in uh, in 2019, I think. But uh, And he had a good year that year, too. Not a great year, but a decent year. Uh, and then the shortened season, he was pretty good. But really exploded in 2021 at age 22 where he put up a 166 WRC plus and hit 48 home runs at 311, 401, 601. I mean, it, was, it looked like one of the, the elite bats in baseball, and he was 33% worse the following season, yet still good. And then he was 15% worse than that this season, though still you know a quality enough bat to keep in the lineup. But as a first baseman only, and a guy that's not actually good at first base, too, by the way, gold gloves aside, he's terrible over there. Yeah, that's a tough one for me. And we're talking about a guy who enters the uh, 2024 season two years from free agency. Let, let me ask you this. Let me, ask, let me ask you this, Churchill. Do you think I don't want to go year to year with Guerrero is what I'm saying. Do, do you think that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. wants an extension right now? Um, yes, but under certain conditions under use the entire body of work not what have you done for me lately yeah i i, I would think that he would want at least one more year um to see if he can return to a six win player if i'm and... his agent if i'm his agent i would be saying here's the thing let's figure out a number that we would take today and like the the lowest number that we would take today because here's the thing he's he's gotten so so much worse so significantly worse the last two years he was i mean you look at that from a we'll just do it from a wins above replacement um standpoint because i think more people are familiar with that than um than wrc plus but from a wins above replacement standpoint he was a six win player in 2021 
He was a three-win player in 2022, just under three. And he was a one-win player last year. That's not a good trend. And while he's going to have all the confidence in the world and his agent wants him to have all the confidence in the world, you have, don't you have to kind of create a, uh, you know, a parachute here for yourself? Like if the Toronto Blue Jays want to say, Hey, we want to buy out your two final years of arbitration, which are probably worth $50 million, by the way. And we want to buy out two years of free agency at $60 million. So we want to give you four and one ten. You might say, I guess maybe I would take that. Or you have to buy out at least three years of free agency. So I would take five and 140, but I won't take four and 110. Um, yeah, I, I, you have to find the line, whatever that is. And if you're, if you're, you're only 24 years old, he's gonna be 25 in March. Still growing, unfortunately, in all ways, he's still growing. But he obviously could get back close to that. So it's a good question, Casey. Like, if you're Vlad Guerrero, do you want to do it now coming off the season you just came off? There's absolutely an argument you don't, but you're kind of running out of time too. Um, the Blue Jays might not want nothing to do with buying four free agent years. You know what I mean? And if that's the case, it's like you have to do it now or you're getting a four-year deal at most and you don't have any control until after the 2025 season. So lots to consider there for, for all sides. That's a really interesting one. And I just wonder if that number pushes the team to, I don't know, at least think about, does it make sense trading Vladimir Guerrero? Um, or think about some kind of an extension that, uh, that, that loosens the, uh, uh, the screws a little bit on, on payroll. I mean, the Blue Jays spend a little bit, but they're not a team like, I mean, not the Padres or the, or the Mets or the Red Sox or the Yankees, right? Um, that's an interesting one. Uh, the Danny Jansen one, Casey, stands out to me too, because... Uh, they have a catcher in Alejandro Kirk, who's also uh, eligible for arbitration, uh, but it's his first year and he's uh, projected to get about two and a half million dollars for Jansen, who's more the backup at five plus million. Like that seems to me like a prime trade candidate on the Toronto Blue Jays because he's he, he didn't have a great year in 2023, but he's a pretty darn good number two catcher. And he's actually served as a DH a little bit because he can hit. Uh, that one is, uh, that one's an interesting one. Uh, here's my general question for you, Casey, at this point. So I, there's, there's a couple of relievers we're going to talk about in this conversation that where their arbitration numbers start to get bigger. There's four or five that I can think of off the top of my head, but there's three of them in particular where I don't know if the, the, the pitcher matches the value of his projected, um, arbitration number to that particular team. Jordan Romano at $7.7 million. I, if I'm the Blue Jays, I know I'm not a small market team. I know they're spending more than $100 million on payroll. Jordan Romano has gone backwards over the last year. And it seems like his struggles late in 2022 just bled over into uh, 2023. And it's not like he was bad. He just wasn't nearly as good. You see things like, uh, uh, like the walk rate climb more than a, a percentage and a half. Um, faltering in, in certain situations. Um, I don't know if I love the trend there for a 30-year-old reliever uh, who's been good three years in a row, was really, really good most of 2022, like like exceptionally good. And 2023 was just good, not great. Do I want to pay him almost $8 million? Like, is that something you'd be comfortable with if your payroll was, I don't know, $180 million in, in CBT money? 
I think I would rather pay somebody else eight million dollars. Uh, so you're Martin. thinking you'd rather, rather than Romano, you'd rather get like Robert Stevens in eight million dollars? Yeah, just exactly. Example. Yeah, and, yeah. and you can get value right now out of Jordan Romano. Maybe after next year, there is no value to be had for That's Jordan true. Romano. So yeah. you know, it, it may be something that they put on the market. Yeah. So I I see what you're getting at here. So the the combination of what you might be able to get in trade for Romano. And essentially just using the money you saved, making that deal to replace him with a guy that might actually be better is obviously better for the Toronto Blue Jays. I totally get what you're saying. That's a good point. Because um, he's still good. I don't want to suggest that he's not good. But that walk rate, you know, like that seems to be the outlier. Um, in his three full seasons, his, uh, his walk rates are 9.9%, 8.1%, and 9.7%. So that 8.1% that, that helped make him so good in 2022 seems to be the outlier, you know, of his, uh, his control and command, um, uh, performances. So, uh, uh, he's an interesting one. It, it's a lot. Can they house it? Yes, they can. They can take it, but they might be able to spend that money better. I'm really big on that. I noticed I'm really big. You've probably heard me say that a lot. Can I spend this money better? You know? And, and I, I think in a lot of cases, yes, it doesn't mean you always get rid of the player, but it has to be part of the equation for me. Can I spend the $20 million it would cost to, to keep Vladimir Guerrero at that particular, can I spend that better? And if I can, do I want to do something with Vlad Guerrero Jr. that's different? Same with Jordan Romano. Do I want to spend that nearly $8 million on Romano or do I want to sign him to an extension and lower that number for 2024? Or do I want to just trade him and get him off the books and start over with somebody else? Um, that's, that's a consideration for me. Uh, the other one there in Toronto that's somewhat interesting is Dalton Varsho at $5.5 million. And mostly that's because he was just bad in his first year in Toronto. That deal early for uh, Arizona looks pretty good. Uh, I do think Varsho has a chance to bounce back. He's a little bit of a unique player. Uh, the Braves, not a whole lot going on there. They're not going to non-tender A.J. Minter at $6.5 million or even Max Fried at 14 4 um, Nicky Lopez at almost $4 million. Don't really love that, but the Braves will spend money. Uh, nobody else on that roster uh, uh, is due a significant enough raise. Although $3 million for Mike Soroka might be too much since his availability is the uh, the main issue there. Uh, the Brewers might be the most interesting team on this list, Casey, and not because they're going to non-tender Brandon Woodruff. Although, let me take that back. They're not going to non-tender Corbin Burns or Willie Adamas. Corbin Burns is a $15 million projection. Willie Adamas has a $12.5 million projection. Trading those guys is absolutely on the table. One season left. Brandon Woodruff, however, I'm not sure why you wouldn't non-tender him. It's his final year of arbitration before he hits free agency. And he might miss the entire season. So I'd be surprised if they didn't non-tender. Or, I don't know, maybe there's a team out there that thinks he's going to be back in late July and think it's worth $11.5 million. I can't really see it. Um, so that's an interesting one. Um, Rowdy Telez is not getting that money. They've already taken care of Eric Lauer out of that situation and got him off the roster. Here's a fun conversation. that We were just talking about Jordan Romano in Toronto. Uh, Devin Williams is worth every penny of the six and a half million dollars that's projected to him. But if you're the Brewers and you don't really think you're going to contend, Brandon Williams out, you're probably going to trade Willie Adamas and or Corbin Burns. What are you doing with Devin Williams this winter? If you're the Brewers, what do you do with Williams, who's got two years of control left and is probably going to make 16-ish million dollars over those two seasons? 
Yeah, he's got to be on the market, right? But the smarter move might be waiting until the deadline, the trade deadline. Some team that really needs, you know, back-end relief pitching was is probably going to pay more, at least I would think, at the deadline, even though you're giving up, what, three months of control. But uh, pay more at the deadline because, you know, they're gearing up to beat and compete in September and, and that are like where they're sitting. Right. So you're not taking a shot that he impacts two, um, two pennant races. You're taking a shot that he impacts one the second season you have him because you know he's going to impact the first one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm totally into that, too. Um, that's an interesting one. Six and a half million, not a lot of money. I think a lot of teams would be interested in Devin Williams. Be, be interesting to see what the price cost, uh, the trade uh, price is for a guy like uh, uh, Williams at this uh, point in his career. He's been awfully good, um, but he's also very, very unique. Um, he reminds me a little bit uh, of a Houston street, just in the way that when you look at the, when you look at the stuff, we're not talking about, um, we're not talking about a guy who throws a hundred miles an hour, right? We're talking about a guy who sits like 93 to 95. I think his average fastball is 94. Um, you know, throws the occasional, you know, hard slider or cut or whatever you want to call it. It throws a lot of change-ups, right? Like the change-up he throws, you know, more than half the time, you know, approaching 60%, uh, almost exactly 58% in 2023. Um, so he's different. You know, he he's not the throw 98 in a wicked breaking ball. And I'm also a big believer in teams that have bullpens that can throw from both sides that throw from different angles, that throw different pitch mixes. Um, and there's a lot of clubs out there that just have that fastball slider type, the sinker slider, the four-seamer you know, slider. And Devin Williams, Devin Williams fits on every single team that wants to contend in 2024. That $6.5 million number, Casey, isn't even too much for the Cincinnati Reds. You know what I mean? Like, it's not even too much for the Colorado Rockies. It's not too much for certainly the Giants or the Dodgers. And I just I wonder if the Brewers are just going to get bowled over uh, for Devin Williams. That's a uh, the Brewers are a, a, a huge key to the entire offseason because of Adamus and, and Burns and and, uh, and Devin Williams uh, in particular. Um, folks generally ask about Christian Yelich, uh, Casey, but I believe like you look at his deal. He's just owed too much money. I just can't see it. He's already, you know, what, 32 or 33 he did have a pretty good year this past year. I just seems to me they'd have to eat too much of that deal to get anything back to make the whole endeavor worth it. I don't know if you have a different feel on uh, on that situation. Yeah, and and the and the whole purpose of trading him would be to save money. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's really not to get. I mean, in some ways, it's to get value back, but really, it's to save money. They they want to step back in uh, in payroll. You know. So you're trading Yelich to not have to pay that big contract, but you're only going to get anything for him if you eat the contract. So I, I don't see it. I don't see that happening. And and I'm pretty sure that Yelich has. Does he have a full no trade clause? I think he does. Um, he has a. Hang on. Yes, he has a full no trade. You got to imagine he'd be open to getting out of there. But yeah, but he's going to have some some say in it, right? Like he's not just going to go anywhere. Right. But he's owed $130 million guaranteed through 2028 at $26 million a year. And then there's a mutual option that comes with a $6.5 million buyout. So he's owed $136.5 million guaranteed 
through the 2028 season. And we're talking about a guy who, you know, again, he's 32 years old in December and he just had his first, I'd call it his first good season since 2019. He really struggled. 2020 was weird, forgiven, but he wasn't good in, in 2021. It seemed like there was no power. 2022, same thing. Seemed like there was just wasn't a lot of power. And in 2021, by the way, he did miss 45 games. But he's been healthy the last two years. And finally, this year, some of the power came back. Not a lot of it. He's not the same player he was when he was winning MVPs, but he was a four-win guy this year. I'm just not betting that I can get that out of him. I'm just not, I'm yeah. not betting on that at all. Yeah. I just, I don't know. If, even if I'm a team like the Yankees or the Mets that just is okay absorbing, you know, big dollars, I think I would still want the Brewers to, to – to eat like 50 to 70 million of that 136 and a half that I'm going to have to spend. I at least maybe more considering the fact that he's 32 now. I, I just, and I think I, we can circle the, back around to the idea that I can take that money and spend it better elsewhere. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I, I just think they're stuck with him. I, I think they're going to be stuck with Yelich, unfortunately. And, you know, Yelich is a likable player and hopefully he stays healthy, but, uh, yeah, I don't think the Brewers are going to be able to move on from that. The uh, the Cardinals, they don't really have a whole lot of uh, – like I don't think they're going to non-tender Tyler O'Neill in the final year of arbitration at $5.5 million. I think they'd be willing to take the risk that he bounces back a little bit, that he's healthier, has a better year, and maybe they can move him at the deadline for something. Uh, but that's an interesting one to think about. Tommy Edmund at 6.5, he's worth it. Uh, there's nobody else there that's really in danger of, uh, I think, getting non-tendered, although Dylan Carlson – and and I and O'Neill both are uh, are trade candidates certainly because they have the uh, the logjam in the outfield. The Cubs absolutely no one that really stands out arbitration wise, whether it be some sort of trade or contract or non tender sort of scenario. Although contract extensions for good players, young players like Justin Steele are always uh, a possibility. Uh, the Diamondbacks are interesting because here we get another one of those relievers like Zach Gallen, ten point nine million dollar projection, no brainer. That guy's worth every single penny. Christian Walker at 12.7. Maybe they want to do something there because it's his final season. Then he hits free agency. And he's a little bit older than most free. I think he's 32 years old already. Um, but Paul Seawald at $7.3 million. Now, we're familiar with Seawald because uh, we live in the Northwest, and that's the team that uh, that's closest to us geographically, where the people around us are fans of it, the people we talk to on a regular basis. Paul Seawald is one of the most beloved Seattle Mariners uh, in the last 20 years, which is remarkable because he wasn't even there that long. He wasn't even in Seattle that long. Then he gets traded to Arizona, and every Mariners fan is like, go Paul Seawald, right? I mean, it was just a cool thing. I, I love that. I love that we weren't like, screw Paul Seawald. He's not a Mariner anymore. I love that we can just root for players. Um, but $7.3 million is the projection on Paul Seawald. Now, we're talking about a team in Arizona who they're – 2023 40-man tax number was about $144 million. Now, I'm not saying they can't house it. I'm saying, again, might they think $7.3 million is a little pricey for us? We think by trading Paul Seawald, we can get something in return and then use the $7 million on something a little bit more valuable to us. There's a chance they think that way, and Seawald's days in Arizona could potentially uh be numbered i also wonder if uh, uh the diamondbacks aren't in a situation to um to actually start spending though like i've heard matt chapman's name attached to, to arizona i think it was unfounded i don't think that's it's an actual rumor i just think somebody wondered out loud and it made me start to wonder um 
maybe spend a little. If you can get a guy like Chapman for four and a hundred and not take the long term risk, maybe that makes sense for a team like uh, like Arizona. So maybe they do start spending a little bit more, and the Paul Seawald seven million dollars doesn't become an issue. Uh, the Dodgers, I think it's interesting that Walker Bueller's due eight million dollars, and he's probably going to be on an innings limit. Um, in 2024 uh, there's one year left on walker bueller uh i don't really see any like will smith at nine million dollars very good catcher one of the better catchers in the national league i don't see that being an issue for the uh the big time dodgers uh the giants jd davis at almost seven million dollars does that does that alarm you at all casey i mean he had a pretty decent year he's a decent player he's a quality player uh he's a free agent at the end of the season but uh, 6.8 million dollar projection on him any kind of red flag there if you're the Giants? I mean, I think you hold on to JD Davis, and and he may have some value uh, on the trade market if you if you want to. It's true, and they have a lot of the a lot of guys like that too. They have a lot of first base, third base type guys. Wilmer Flores, who had a good year, is is uh, is one of them. Um, uh, and you just wonder if there's not something else they can do uh, with Davis or that money, but. Uh, do you feel differently about Mike Yastrzemski at seven point three million dollars? Because I yeah. do. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm non-tendering Mike. Yastrzemski. I'm trying to trade that guy right now if I can. Yeah. And if I can't, yeah. then I'm non-tendering. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I doubt that they get anything. Well, maybe they could. You know, you might be able to get a little something. Yeah. He hit 15 home runs last year. I mean, seven million is kind of a lot for a guy that probably isn't an everyday player. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much it for the Giants. Uh, Austin Slater at 3.6. That's a no-brainer. Lamont Wade Jr. at 3.3. Tyler Rogers 3.2. Uh, Tyro Estrada at 4.8. Those are those are fine. Those guys are producing enough. The Guardians is uh, that situation is a little interesting too. Not because Shane Bieber's 12.2 million dollars means they're going to not tender him, but he's had some injury issues. Hasn't been exactly the same pitcher he was two, three, four years ago. And final year of his deal. Final year of his team control. Uh, I imagine the Guardians try to trade Shane Bieber um, this winter, and if they can't, then they do something over the summer if they can. But that twelve million dollars—I mean, what are the Guardians spending these days? You know, uh, not a lot, right? Twelve million dollars seems like it's most of their payroll this side of uh, Jose Ramirez. But they, they basically spend uh, like the Diamondbacks do. So if seven million dollars is something to consider for the Diamondbacks for a reliever, twelve million dollars is probably something for the Guardians to think about. Um, I would, uh, I would think they probably try to do something with Bieber other than just tendering him and, and housing him. Uh, Ramon Liriano at 4.7. I think that's a non-tender uh, situation for me. Cal Quantrill is an interesting one for, uh, for Cleveland. Like he's got the, he's got the pedigree. His dad was, uh, uh, Paul Quantrill. Uh, he's got a good arm. He's 28 years old. He's never really put it together at the big league level. He's not a guy that misses bats. Did not have a good 2023. Um, I just don't know that you can pay that guy who doesn't really look like a, you know, a, a 28 start rotation option. I don't know that you can pay that guy 6.5, 6.6 million dollars. Casey, I, I think that's a non-tender or a trade scenario for me too. Um, yeah, I mean, look at what he did last year, Quadril. You know, what did he do? Okay, he had a uh, FIP over four Nine. and a half. 19 an starts and under 100 innings too. Yeah. 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 And he had an XFIP over five four three for his XFIP and an ERA over five. So I, yeah. None of the runs allowed metrics liked him at all. None. Zero. And he was striking out, you know, 
nobody. He was striking out five guys every nine innings. So yeah, despite the fact that he throws ninety four, just goes to show you, you know, yeah. velocity is not everything. You, your pitch has to move. There has to be deception. You have to have secondary stuff. Yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's it, you know, and he like he's never really lived up to it. There's never really, there's not really a, a year where you can go, well, if we can get him back to this, then he's worth that six and a half. There's partial seasons in 2021. He was okay. He was worth almost two wins in 2022. He was worth almost two wins, but still not missing bats. And in 2021, 18 of his appearances were at the bullpen. So I can't imagine they're going to spend that money. I think he's getting non-tendered. Um, the rest of the Guardians arbitration eligible seem like easy. Can we, can we just note how I- I- impressive it is, how fruitful the starting pitching market should be uh, this offseason? You know, mm-hmm. if you keep adding guys like that aren't already on the free agent market right. that you're not thinking about, like guys like Shane Bieber or, or Cal Quantrill, and Bieber's likely mm-hmm. going to be on the trade market, but mm-hmm. you just keep going down. If you're looking for starting pitching this year, it, it's a good year to be looking yeah. for starting pitching. And you get the two Japanese guys added to that, Yamamoto at the top uh, with Aaron Nola and Blake Snell and Sonny Gray and Jordan Montgomery and Eduardo Rodriguez. And then you get Shota Imanaga, who's kind of a mid-rotation type with Marcus Stroman and and uh, Michael Waka and maybe Jack Flaherty is a chance you want to take. Lucas Giolito certainly a guy I would think about uh, on a three-year deal. And then there's the, the, the you know, the, the one and two-year types like Seth Lugo and, and Sean Manaya that you could take a shot at. It is, you're right. It is a good – and we might get more of those guys added to it, which is the whole reason, Casey, why we made a great decision talking about arbitration eligibles that might get added to the, the free agent market. So I appreciate the pat on the back, which is essentially what you're doing to both of us. Yeah, this is why you're here, okay? So on your end of the con- your contract with Future Stars, it doesn't say <laughs> that. But on my end of your contract, I can see the part where it says in parentheses, and pat us on the back. And you're doing it without yeah. even knowing that it was. Yeah. Hey, I did come up with the idea to talk about uh, you did. Uh, you, projected arbitration salary. You so. came up with the whole idea, every idea. Every idea is I just, I take them and make them mine and pretend that I came up with them. Every idea we talk about on the show is Casey. Um, in fact, this whole show is scripted. Casey writes it down, types it out, sends it to us. And usually Joe Doyle is with us, but he's on a little mini vacay uh, over the weekend. I think and he's just, just driving around. He said he's, he's going to he's he's <laughs> We did ask him like why he was going where he said he was going. I got no answer. <laughs> yeah, no answer. I'm pretty sure that he just is driving around to avoid the episode. But, you know, what do I know? Maybe, yeah. I get the feeling Joe doesn't like me too much. You get that feeling too? He doesn't like you? Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know. You're always yelling at people. So And it sucks because I like Joe. Like, right? Like you like Joe, right? I love I like Joe. Joe. I think, yeah. I think Joe's a good dude. Um, he knows his stuff. That's why he's here. He was my my first idea when I came aboard. I was like, let's get this guy too, you know? And and maybe that was a mistake. <laughs> maybe he's driving down to Houston to try to take my job, like Dwight Schrute style. That's <laughs> what it that's is. That's why he didn't want to tell us where he was going. That's what it is. He's not going camping or whatever. He's he's driving down to to uh, put an application can application in for your job. Application again? Is that a new state near Michigan? Application state. Application state. There you go. That's good. All right. So that's the the the, the Guardians. Uh, the Marlins. There's a, there's one interesting guy on. Well, there's two actually. Um, Tanner Scott had a really good year at the bullpen. Finally, or his deal, he's due almost $6 million. I can't imagine the Marlins house that. I think they try to trade him. I think they're going to be able to trade that. Teams are always looking for uh, for power arms out of the bullpen. They had a good year last year. 
The interesting one here, Casey, to me, is Luis Arise. You look at what's going on with the Marlins right now. Kim Ang quits because they try to go above her head, which was such a trash move by the Marlins, by the way. So I understand her making that move and getting out of there. Um, she earned that spot. You want to take it away from her? Like, come on, man. Like, what are you doing? But then um, she wasn't reportedly wasn't interested in Boston either. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder if that was just because she knew she didn't have a shot, that they were doing it for the wrong reasons, or if she simply just doesn't want the Northeast, doesn't want the big media market or doesn't want the Northeast or something like that. Like that all could be, I don't know. I give her the benefit of the doubt. She turned it down. It wasn't for her, um, which is interesting. Um, but Luis Arise, uh, the projection, he's got two years left. The projection is $10.8 million for, for 2024. The Marlins are in a, a pretty interesting situation, an unfortunate situation. They traded Pablo Lopez to get Arise. They've had some injury issues, severe injury issues in the rotation. Um, uh, I mean, when I say significant, I mean, they have prospects that are getting hurt. Uh, Alcantara is now hurt. Uh, I cannot imagine. I would be absolutely floored if we don't at least hear several rumors about Luis Arise on the trade market. It makes too much sense to try to sell high on him even if you're not going to max out, you know, based on his last season, I mean, this is two years of a guy who, while he probably belongs at third base or first base and hits for power like a second baseman, uh, this is a guy that obviously flirted with 400 for a little while, ended up hitting 350. Uh, the last two seasons, he's had 131 and 132 WRC pluses. And we're talking about a guy who's still only 27 years old in April. Left-handed bat, uh, does a lot of things, doesn't run. But just tons of contact, 5.5% strikeout rate, 5.7% walk rate, gets on base, all that stuff. And can actually, you know, he's not going to kill you at second base in short stints. You can move him around. First base, second base, third base, DH. Maybe ultimately he could play some left field for you. I think teams are going to be interested in him. And I think it would behoove the, the Miami Marlins to trade him if they like anything. Two years of a rise is worth something. Probably not Pablo Lopez but probably something relatively close considering there's one less year of Luis Arise on the books uh, at that, uh, at those prices. But I can't see Casey, I can't see that Marlins club paying him $11 million considering all the other issues they have with that team. They have no shot to contend in my mind. None. You know, I got to give you credit because I think earlier in April or May, we were talking about Luis Arias hitting 400 potentially and it was not yeah. in detriment to what Arias was doing, but you said there's no way, no way too hard. Can't do it. Yeah, and, and I don't want to pat myself on the back for that. It's like saying, you know, uh, Michael Jordan. There's no way Michael Jordan's coming back at 60-something years old. There's no way. I mean, that's how I feel like that is. Like hitting 400 is so incredibly hard. And I think I might have mentioned somewhere along the way, too, like I'd be surprised if he barely hits 350 and he hit 354. So, you know, it's just so hard. It's so, you know, so difficult to do, particularly if you don't walk a ton. And he doesn't. Five and a half percent walk rate, five point seven percent to be exact. Doesn't walk as he just puts the ball in play a lot. Those guys have the the worst chance to hit four hundred. The guys that had the that always have the best chance are the uh, you know the Barry Bonds, the Ted Williams, um, you know guys like that that have had high averages um, but also walk a lot. Because if you're going to put the ball in play like ninety four percent of the time that you you know, go up to the plate, you're going to, you're going to put the ball in play. Um, it puts too much pressure on being perfect. Right. And you look at a guy like uh, 
like George Brett flirted with uh, uh, 400 back in uh, back in 1980 when he hit 390. What an incredible season by George Brett. I'm not going back 40 plus years, but I think if you're a baseball fan, you know exactly who George Brett is. Now you'd think Luis Arise just had a great season, and he did. At, at, uh, at 354, 393 with a 132 WRC plus and a 5.5% strikeout rate and a 5.7. Listen to what George Brett did in 1980, just for comparison. Not only did he hit 24 home runs, but he hit 390 with a 454 on base and a 664 slugging. He walked 11.3% of the time and struck out 4.3% of the time. George freaking Brett, baby. That's a 198 WRC plus, by the way, and a nine-win season. That's a um, 664 slugging. Right, yeah. He did miss some time, so I do want to add that, but he did have 515 plate appearances. So it was still pretty close to a, a legitimate full season. He did get enough uh, 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 trips to the plate, official trips to the plate, to uh, to qualify for the batting top. But un- uh, unbelievable. Like, and we're talking about a guy that this was back in the day, and he retired in 1993. But this is back in the day when striking out 25% of the time was unheard of. If you struck out 25% of the time, like you weren't playing, or your career was going to be short, right? It just didn't just didn't work. I remember in the in the 80s, uh, just like in the 70s and early 80s, Dave Kingman was kind of that guy. Low average, strikeout a lot, hit home runs, and Rob Deere was another one of those guys. That struck out 30 plus percent of the time a lot. But those guys were outliers, and now it's the regular thing. So when you see a guy like Arise doing his thing, uh, even though he's not hitting for a ton of power, it's pretty uh, it's pretty special to watch. But the $11 million in Miami, I don't see it. I, I don't see it at all. So uh, uh, I think the Marlins have uh, have some some activity. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to non-tender Arise. They're just going to trade him, and I think they're going to trade Tanner Scott. Uh, the Mariners. Uh, I don't think there are any significant names here. I don't think Logan Gilbert, obviously Logan Gilbert at, at, at around $5 million is not going anywhere. Ty France, even at 7.2 after a down season. Uh, I could see them trading Ty France, just not because of the $7.2 million specifically. Uh, I think he ends up being their first baseman next year. The Mets, I don't see anyone really interesting there either. It's a bunch of small numbers. Um, the Nationals. Really no one interesting there. Lane Thomas at $7 million. They're definitely not going to non-tender. But I do wonder if the young team, and Lane Thomas is 30 now, if a young team like uh, like Washington doesn't just put him on the trade market um, while he's got two years left and see what they can get for him. And Kyle Finnegan is the one here I do think they move. $5.1 million for essentially a setup guy um, with two years of control. I think they probably try to move him as well if not also hunter harvey whose number is much lower but same situation two years of control the orioles casey are interesting as well uh anthony santander uh 12.7 certainly not a non-tender situation but potentially a trade situation uh before we hit the red button on the show i asked you about john means 5.9 million dollars is the projection one season left he threw four games last year 23 innings didn't really look great uh, the velo's down a little bit after the surgery. You would think time helps them get back. If you are the Baltimore Orioles, I think you said you would tender him and take that shot, especially since pitching is their need. Was wasn't that your take on John Means? Yeah, I mean, I think if if he can return to 2021, 2022, and as a uh, organization, you believe that that is more likely than not. You know, there's other aspects that go into this, like, you know, wh- what does their training personnel, you know, 
think sure. about John means and, like where, and where is he? what's his attitude and, you know, things like that. But yeah, if they believe that he can come back and be, you know, what he was in 2022 and 2021. Or even yeah, anywhere think, close, think, really. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think you, I think he could be a one and a half win starter, but if he makes 28 starts, he's probably worth $6 million. Uh, actually, excuse I'm 2022. He only threw eight innings. So that's not, right. but 2021, but 2021. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, was and really 2019 as well. So, so the Orioles also have uh, some kind of a decision to make on Cedric Mullins. Maybe they just give him the 6.4, let him ride out. You know, he's got two years left as well. I'm not saying they're going to non-tender him. Definitely not. Would they consider trading Cedric Mullins if it helps them get some of the starting pitching that they need? Uh, the same thing with Austin Hayes. A little over $6 million is a projection. They have other outfielders. Uh, two years left for Hayes. Is he a guy they would consider moving? They have outfielders like Colton Kowser and and uh, 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 Jonah Blank on the other kid they drafted way too high. Um, but uh, Heston Kerstad uh, is the other guy I'm thinking of. Like they got guys that can take their spots if they're trying to get pitching. So I imagine one of those guys is, uh, if not both, uh, are somewhat on the block to see what they get. Ryan Mountcastle is the interesting one here. Do you just let him play first base at four million dollars? It's pretty decent. He's not great. Or do you see what you can get for him too? You might be able to get a pretty good reliever for Ryan Mountcastle and shave $4 million off and make it a little easier to house Cedric Mullins and Austin. Because we know the Angelos family is not going to spend, Casey. So money is a, money is of, a, of the utmost uh, importance here when you're trying to build this roster, unfortunately. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Mountcastle is a prime trade candidate this yeah. year. There's not a lot of first basemen out there, and he can play a little bit of outfield, you know, like maybe wait for – that market to dry up in free agency and then toss them out there and see uh, who else out there wants a guy like that. That'd be really, uh, that would be uh, interesting. Yeah, nobody else real significant on their roster that has a number that looks uh, remotely. Um, Jorge Mateo at $3 million, I might think about moving that, but I don't know that I'm non-tendering that. I still like a lot of the potential in defense and speed he brings to the table. The Padres, the big one is Juan Soto. We don't need to bury that. Um, We've uh, that's going to come up. We talked to uh, nauseum about that. Um, rumors are the Yankees have already engaged with the Padres, so that'll be interesting. Um, do you pay Scott Barlow seven million dollars for the Padres? I gotta think they're going to try to get rid of that. You know, they're a team trying to get down around two hundred million dollars in payroll this year. That's the report anyway. Juan Soto will help them do it. Uh, their free agents will help them do it. Hader and Blake Snell, uh, assuming neither. Uh, except the uh, the qualifying offer, but I imagine Scott Barlow at seven million dollars is not the kind of value the Padres uh, are going to want on their roster. And you mentioned before we started Trent Grisham at almost five million dollars. Like that's uh, I'm not liking it. Like my stomach's my stomach's churning because <laughs> this is a guy who like he's had some good years and and he's you know he just turned 27 years old. But he hasn't hit over 200 since 2021. Uh, the strikeout rates are climbing a little bit. He walks quite a bit. It's got, you know, I'd probably say 45 power. Um, but uh, defense is kind of his thing, and he, and he wasn't as sharp doing that this season either. He's a really interesting player. He's a guy that shouldn't be your starter, really. Um, but do you want to pay him, um, you know, $5 million if you go out and you – uh, you do some things with soda, you do some things in free agency, you do some things with maybe some other trades. Can you come up with someone better to, to be a one and a half to two win center fielder for you that you don't have to pay $5 million to? Those are the kinds of decisions that the Padres are going to have to make if they want to get and keep that payroll 
you know, down for a couple of years to, uh, to avoid, which brings up their catcher, Austin Nola. Um, hasn't really done a lot. Campusano, if he's healthy, is probably their number one guy. Um, what Austin Nola, what, he's 33 now? Yeah, 30, he's going to be 34 in December. Uh, and he hasn't done a lot. He had a buck 46 with a 38 WRC plus this year. I can't imagine that at least considering non-tendering him uh, at just under $2.5 million is in a consideration uh, as well. Uh, the Phillies. Uh, I see nothing there that's going to scare the Phillies into non-tendering any of those guys. Not Suarez, not Hoffman, not Soto at $5 million. That's a team that wants to spend. Dave Dombrowski is the higher gun. He is the modern-day version of Pat Gillick. That's what he is there to do. I do wonder, not because of the arbitration number, I do wonder if the Phillies don't move Alec Baum. He's not a good defender at third base. Bryce Harper, as it came out on Thursday, Friday, is going to be the first baseman going forward, uh, which I don't love, but I get. Um, Baum probably belongs at first base, doesn't really hit like a first baseman. I don't, I imagine, you know, like if it were me anyway, I would just put this, I would at least shop Baum and, and see what I'd come up with because I'd really like Matt Chapman to be my third baseman in Philadelphia. Now that, that's who I want in Philadelphia if I'm the Phillies. Get me Matt Chapman here. Get me that defense for the next four years and get me at least a, an above-average offensive player to go with it. That's the thing with Baum. Like, he's an okay offensive player. He's not terrible. It makes a lot of contact. But the defense is well below average. He does truly belong at first base. So that's uh, just something I'm curious about. His number is, uh, the projected number is $4.3 million. It's his first year of, uh, uh, of our, I think it's his first year of arbitration. Um, I don't think he was a super two guy. Um, right. He wasn't. So uh, this is his first, first go of arbitration. It's a little over $3 million for him. Uh, the Pirates, I don't really see anything there. Mitch Keller set to make about $6 million. David Bednar about four point seven. I do wonder, though, just from a competitive standpoint, if moving David Bednar, Casey, might make sense. Throwing another really high-quality reliever you know, onto one of the markets with uh, with maybe Paul Sewell, with maybe Tanner Scott, with maybe Jordan Romano, with maybe uh, uh, Devin Williams in Milwaukee. Uh, could be a really interesting early-slash-late uh, market for trades and free agency if some of these guys get non-tenant or some of these guys get traded uh, later in the winter. Because these these deals uh, don't typically, not all of them anyway, some of these deals don't get settled until a little later in the winter. If the two sides don't agree, we don't know that number until February, you know, until camp opens. They, they have their, their little arbitration hearings and they do the dirty deeds on each side. And then they decide, is Bednar going to make you know, 4.1, or is he going to make, you know, 4.7? Um, so I don't know. I, if I'm Pittsburgh, I'm thinking about trading Mitch Keller and David Bednar if I can't extend them. Uh, Bednar's got three years of control left. Uh, Mitch Keller just two, and he broke out in 2023. So that one's interesting. Uh, Casey, the Rangers. You have that Rangers list in front of you? First one that stands out to you is which player? Now, these players are listed on MLBTradingRivers.com, by the way. Uh, these players are listed in alphabetical order by last name. So Matt Bush is the first number on the list. But what's the first name, considering the number, that that dollar amount after that stands out most to you for the Texas Rangers? Yeah, it's got to be Nathaniel Lowe at $8.8 million. Um, it's interesting, I think, and I know we just touched on it before. Um, he wasn't very good, uh, if I recall, in the playoffs and then towards the end of the year. Um, 
you know, he was pretty good throughout the season. I'm going to pull his numbers up right now. He was a 141 WRC plus a year ago, but he was a 114 this season. If my memory serves, he started the season off hot. And then as the team cooled down a little bit, so did he. And he had an absolutely brutal September, brutal September. So what is Nathaniel Lowe and how much are you willing to spend uh, to try to get the upside out of him? We're talking about a 28-year-old that's now starting to make some money, some real money at almost $9 million. And I guess for him to be worth $9 million plus moving forward, you have to think he's at least closer to that 140 than he is the 114 that he just put up. I think my stance here would be, one, the Rangers obviously have a um, solid amount of payroll that you know their owner has allowed them to spend um, but the other thing is how many first basemen are available on the market that you're confident uh if we just disregard the the nine million dollar number that you're confident are going to be better than a two-win um right. player at 114 wrc plus and right. I, I don't know that is very many sure let's think about nathaniel lowe the same way you were talking about jordan romano a little bit ago could i mean the answer is yes but this is the way i'd be thinking about it. what can nathaniel Lowe? could nathaniel Lowe's trade value plus what else i can get on the free agent market be better for the 2024 and beyond texas rangers than just giving nathaniel Lowe that 8.8 million dollars for example i think the answer is generally yes it, it, it's at least possible and maybe even probable you just have to make sure okay there's a free agent out there we like or a trade target we like in this case, probably more like a free agent. Like just for example, uh, what was low? You said he was a two-win guy. Yeah, let's say he's a two-and-a-half-win guy because he was a 2.8-win guy in 22. We'll split the difference. Let's make him a two-and-a-half-win guy. Don't you think Reese Hoskins is at least a two-win guy, just for example? I, I would yeah, say so. Yeah, I would say at least. Okay. so I mean, It's kind of a mystery you, coming off the injury. but Sure. So if, if Reese Hoskins is a two-win guy, and Nathaniel is a two and a half win guy, but you can get Reese Hoskins for two and 18, essentially the same AAV. But then you also get out of that whole scenario, the trade value of Nathaniel Lowe, you know, theoretically speaking, you're a better team. There's always a way for that player to make more sense as trade bait than to just keep them. There's a way. It doesn't mean, yes, you definitely do this. It means man, you probably have to think about it. You probably have to see. Uh, it's really not about he's not worth the nine million dollars. It's again, can I make that nine million dollars work for me in a different man, a different manner? Can this other player at nine million or so be better, or is the combination of that other player in our scenario, Hoskins, plus the trade value of Nathaniel Lowe, maybe nets you a reliever or whatever it is, or a backup catcher and a reliever? Uh, yeah, I, that's, that's kind of the way I think about a lot of this. Um, I don't think Jonah Himes three point six or the six point six Bradley's Garcia. Uh, scare the Rangers. And I don't think any of this scares the Rangers, but I think there might be an opportunity there with uh, Nathaniel Lowe, and this might be the right time to do it. Because um, I don't think that 141 is coming back. I mean, that's a, that that's definitely the outlier in his career uh, at this particular point. Uh, the Rays have a bunch of uh, arbitration-eligible guys. Uh, the first one that stands out to me, Casey, is the 4.4 to Harold Ramirez. But it's not because I don't think the Rays can handle that number. I think it's because they kind of have a logjam of these first base DH types, guys that they're even squeezing into third base, like Andy Diaz and Isak Paredes. 
especially with Junior Caminero ready to come up and third base is going to be his position. So now Paredes and Diaz are really first basemen's last DH. So uh, is it Harold Ramirez that they're going to maybe see what they can get uh, pitching wise, or is it going to be, you know, Yandy Diaz, who despite the fact that uh, it's early in his career, he's 32 years old, you know? Uh, so that'd be really, really interesting. So those guys can, uh, those guys can really hit. Um, I don't think the Aaron Savali 4.6 million scares them. Um, one of the kind of mock deals I made uh, when I went over um, my my offseason thoughts for my hometown Seattle Mariners uh, recently was a uh, was a multi-team deal where the Rays traded Tyler Glass out of the Dodgers. He's scheduled to make what is it 25 million I think Casey. Um, the Rays can house that though. They knew this was coming. That they knew this was coming. But there's a way they can send Glass now out without taking money back, and then just re up with all these guys, and they just go right back at it with basically the same team they had, plus their top prospect, Junior Caminero, uh, coming up. He is he's remarkable. So um, I've sparked a little bit of a uh, a little bit of friendship with Austin Shen. He's from the Northwest here. He was in the Mariners organization for a while, and but now he's with the Rays. And he started raving about Caminero a year ago. And I was like, who the hell is this pipsqueak you're talking about? And he kept telling me, uh, and I'm going to pull up the uh, the conversation. He kept telling me things like, this is like a year ago. Um, like he's, he's the, he says, bruh, Caminero is the silliest baseball player I've ever played with. And then I said, yeah, a lot of swing and miss, but man, he's 19. He goes, and the swing and miss isn't even that bad. He's got the craziest bat speed and exit velocities I've ever seen in my life. And then I made a joke. He might have a chance. And he goes, flat out, he's going to be the next big thing. So then he makes the Future Stars game. Now, everybody knows who he is by midseason. He makes the Future Stars game. He's in the big leagues by the end of the season, and he's part of their 2023 plans. So uh, Shent was certainly on to something there, but uh, they're going to have to open – some space for him and it could just be Harold Ramirez but I wonder if they don't try to do something different with uh with Paredes or uh, or Yandy Diaz as well to open up uh space there but it's not necessarily because of the dollar amount but as guys are starting to make money it also means they're inching toward free agency which means you're running you're starting to run out of time to max out your trade value for them but the Rays as they are every year Casey I think the Rays are always in a very interesting position with like a half a dozen players doesn't it seem that way <laughs> yeah, like, and, and I think maybe not salary related because it's only nine million dollars, but they always pay attention to their stars as their uh, salary sort of rises, right? So you could throw Rosarena into that mix. Um, yeah, there's some, there's a lot of yeah, there's there's a lot of um, yeah, interesting names there on that list that are just starting to poke into that. Yeah, it's the Rays. They might think about trading that guy range. Right. Right. So you look at the Red Sox uh, up next. Nick Pavetta, I think they house that. Alex Verdugo uh, at nine million dollars. Pavetta, by the way, is just under seven million dollar projection. Verdugo just over nine. Uh, I think they house that. Those are the only significant names uh, on their list. I think they get in a trading Verdugo, but I I think Pavetta showed them enough last year, and they're enough. They're they're pitching starved at this point. That uh, that Pavetta is probably part of the plan. Not a whole lot going on in uh, in Cincinnati either. Jonathan India is an interesting name. Uh, first year of arbitration, $3.7 million projection, just because they have so many infielders, and it looks like trading India might be in their best interest. So we'll keep an eye on that from that standpoint. 
Uh, not a whole lot going on with the Rockies um, when it comes to uh, uh, arbitration numbers. The Royals as well. Brady Singer at $5 million. I think they ride that out another year. Um, the Tigers, really not a whole lot going on there either. Um, injury could you know, have something to do with how they approach the Casey Mize situation. And, and same thing with Spencer Turnbull uh, and even Austin Meadows. Uh, I don't know if there's anything really significant there from a non-tender standpoint. I think the Twins, uh, Casey, as we finish this out with the last uh, four or five clubs, Kyle Farmer at $6.6 million is an absolute non-tender, right? Yeah, but yeah, they're not giving him $6.6 million. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Especially since it sounds like the Twins are trying to pair payroll a little bit. Like they were really aggressive in 23. They're trying to cut it just a little, not to the Padres level, but just a little bit. So I imagine Kyle Farmer is the one non-tender there. Uh, the White Sox, maybe Michael Kopech. He talked about him before we went live. I think that's probably it for the uh, potential non-tenders there. And, you know, he's obviously had injuries that have uh, kind of upset his career. And the Yankees have a bunch of guys, maybe the most in the league, uh, maybe right there with the Rays, eligible. The biggest number is the 15 plus million dollars to Glaber Torres, but nobody thinks they're going to non-tender Torres. Maybe they trade Torres if they come up with a, a different solution there and they really like the trade return for him. But otherwise, uh, that's probably going to stay there. I also wonder, even in New York, they're not going to non-tender Clay Holmes, but $6 million for Clay Holmes, again, brings up the, kind of the Jordan Romano conversation there. Can they do better? Um, but they're going to do better before they trade Clay Holmes because he's been pretty good for them, and uh, they obviously have bigger payrolls. So there you go. Um, you know, we I, I think there's probably a small handful of those guys that that we just talked about that have to get non-tendered. Otherwise, I think there's going to be some really interesting traits come out of all of this. Um, and we'll find out in the next uh, several weeks, obviously. But uh, the uh, the November 17 deadline to tender, so we're going to know in a week. So right as we talk next week, we're going to know the answer to a lot of this stuff. And we'll, uh, we'll certainly uh, discuss that as we move forward. Before we go, uh, Casey and I admire the Arizona Diamondbacks for their postseason run. The Arizona Diamondbacks won 84 games in 2023. And then they rolled into the World Series, which is pretty remarkable, right? I thought it was the when you look at where they came from, not this season, but in years past, like just a couple of years ago, this Arizona Diamondbacks club before the Corbin Carroll's and the Alec Thomas's kind of arrived on the scene. Um, you know, you go back to 2021, this uh, the, the nat the 2023 National League champions um, in 2021 were terrible. Right. You look back and you go, they were 52 and 110 two years ago. Now, it's not as remarkable as going 52 and 10 and then going 98 and 64 or whatever, but 52 and 10 to improve by 32 wins and then have postseason success is still a pretty remarkable thing. And so it just made us think, are there some clubs? And again, we'll go to 2022 just so we can go compare year to year because I'm using the Diamondbacks as the example and kind of the inspiration for, uh, for this, uh, this conversation. Um, in 2022, after winning 52 games, they did improve to 74 wins, but then they jumped another 10 games and got into contention, right? So what are the teams, one in each league, Casey picked a National League club, I picked an American League club, and how do they get back to the postseason? Now, Casey, you've been writing about this 
at futurestarseries.com. Division by division. They're all out, right? Yep, they're all out. Yep, they're all out. Division by division, the teams that didn't make the playoffs, how do those teams go about getting back? Sometimes it's about they're going to get an injured player back that's key to them, and they're going to add this guy from the system, and they probably should go out in free agency, or you know, they really need to focus on the bullpen, things like that. Um, it's it's interesting in going through those, Casey, how different certain team situations are. And a lot of that seems to be about two things. One, the health of their their core, their bigger names. And two, how much money we think that team is probably going to be willing to spend based on history and payrolls they've been carrying. So the team you picked to discuss here today is the St. Louis Cardinals. They had a very strange 2023 season. They were bad. Um, I have the record actually right here so we can uh, speak in fact. 71 and 91. And it was the, I believe it was the third, it was the fourth worst, wait, one, two, three, it was the third worst pitching staff in the National League in terms of just pure runs allowed. So if you want to throw the defense in there too, fine. A pitching staff obviously needs help, but I don't know that that offense is really set for glory either. So when you think about the Cardinals kind of being that team that may be one of the most likely to go from 71 wins to legitimate contention next year, what are the, the kind of the core things that you're thinking they need to do and they need to make happen this winter? Yeah, I mean, I think you go over some of those pitching numbers again or, or some other ones, but they were ranked, you know, number 29 in KBB percentage in the majors as a rotation staff. Um, yeah, that's not and a lot of that good, was just not striking so. guys out, right? A lot of that it, was it, on the strike outside. Yeah, and I mean the walk the walk rate wasn't great either, but yeah, they they weren't striking anybody out. I think they were like seventeen percent strikeout rate, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, so the thing here though is their fix, which is more arms, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and they've committed to, um, you know, GM John Mozeliak. He said, you know, we know we need at least two arms, uh, despite the fact that he said three earlier in the year, which I think is closer to three. But, you know, he said we <laughs> he said now he's saying two. So but he said at least two. So, you know, if you can do something where, uh, you know, we can talk about the offense in a second. But if we can if you can do something like go and sign Jordan Montgomery back because he just traded him mm-hmm. Uh and then go and get Sonny Gray or Blake Snell or Eduardo Rodriguez. And um, so there's two there. And then you know you're probably going to trade, um, you know, Dylan Carlson or Lars Newbar or somebody from that glut of outfielders that they have mm-hmm. and go and get another starter from that deal. Um, well, you know, there's your three starters and you're, and you're sort of in it again. Um, you know, I think that they really overestimated what the pitching staff was going to be able to do this year um, mm-hmm. outside of Jordan Montgomery. And I think he was even a surprise in how well he pitched. Yeah. Um, especially after the trade, you go to a yeah. place like Texas and pitch and even pitch well at home in a new environment. He was, he was very, very good. Um, the offense yeah. disappointed too. I mean, they were, they, it, it seemed like they had a chance to be a top 10 offense in baseball. Um, mm-hmm. Aaron Otto, you know, Goldschmidt, just to start new bar Gorman, yeah. like their names yep. there. Yeah. yeah, there's names there, right? And so it, then they end up with just a team 104 WRC plus for the year, which is number 13 in baseball. Um, which is you know, pretty ordinary. It's not it's bad. It's just average. It's just yeah, average offense, right? So, And in terms of runs scored, though, too, 
Um, I think they were 19th in the league in runs scored. So right. the performance offensively suggests they should have scored more runs. So there might be an issue there that they attack that's very particular and very specific, whether it's they're not getting enough runners on base or not enough extra base hits or maybe there's some issues with runners on base. Maybe they're striking out too much, things of that nature uh, that they'd have to attack as well. Um, Payroll-wise, they seem to be in pretty good shape. But I do wonder, and this is something we've talked about quite a bit already, even though the, the offseason is less than two weeks old, there are some names on the potential trade market. We talked about Juan Soto. Uh, Pete Alonso in New York is getting buzz. I do wonder about Paul Goldschmidt. I do wonder if even if the Cardinals go, and it seems like they are, let's just retool. Let's get this pitching staff going, and we have a chance to win this division. And, and who the hell would blame them for thinking they could win the division? Uh, the Brewers are gonna are gonna fade. It looks like they're gonna trade away. So it's really like the Cubs and the Cardinals from a veteran laden team standpoint, and then a couple of young teams like the Pirates and the Reds that you're battling. It's probably the approach I would take too. But I think you can probably do that while trading Paul Goldschmidt and just giving first base to, for example, Jordan Walker or Nolan Gorman or a combination of. Uh, and 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 seeing what you can do there to save you a little payroll. Maybe you can buy that third starter instead of having to trade for him. I would at least explore that because it's the final year of Paul Goldschmidt's deal, and I believe he's 36 years old now, Casey. Yeah, and if you can find a team that you know wants Paul Goldschmidt and one of your outfielders, and has a pitcher that you're you know interested in and put throwing that package together it, that could be the way too and and you talk about the division you know with the cubs we don't know that bellinger's not going to be back i don't think he's going to be back but right. losing bellinger not that that is going to directly affect how the cardinals think uh but the division getting weaker is like you said um sure. so there's just yeah. no there's every reason for them um not to go and and get better right um so yeah, it's really interesting. They need to, they do need to uh, upgrade the bullpen a little bit. Uh, I think on my, I think on my article on Future Star series, I, I threw out a name like Hector Neris. You know, somebody that yeah. can come in and yeah. uh, might be able to get him on a on a on a two year deal on, for fifteen a, sixteen a, million dollars too. Mm -hmm. On a cheaper deal that that can come in uh, later in the game and 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 get you out of situations but it, you know uh, first things first they've they've got to fix the rotation um and they need they need guys uh to improve they, you know they need nolan gorman to be better they need jordan walker to play a full season and be better um you know lars newtbar probably needs to be better so yeah he's really yeah, struggling against lefties is he an everyday guy and if he's not you know do they have another answer there do they have a platoon right. partner for him or whatever that situation might be um, what's interesting is the, the the Cardinals too. Like a lot of times, like I'm not a big like Pythag guy when it comes to like win loss expectation. I'm just not not before the season, not during the season, not after the season. But uh, sometimes you'll you'll you go to a team like the Braves. They won 104 games. Um, the Pythag on them was 101. The Orioles won 101 games. The Pythag on them was only 94. Um, you know, you look at like the Brewers, 92 and 90, the Astros, 90 and 93. Like they should have won by that formula. They should have won three more games. The Twins should have won 93 games instead of 87. But you go down to, and, and the Mariners, the Pythagorean was 91 and they won 88. If they win the Pythagorean number, they're in the playoffs, right? They win the division. Like, like it's amazing how, how different um, 
most of these are to some extent the Padres, their Pythagoras 92 wins. They won 82. But then you go down to those Cardinals, 71 and 91 on the season, and their Pythag says they should have been a 71 and 91 club. And if I'm John Mosaic, I am thinking, ah, I hate this. I can't even look at that and go, we should have been better because the roster's just not good enough to be significantly better than that. They do have a kid in the minors that might be able to help them in the rotation uh, at some point in Tink Hentz, uh, who's a, an electric right-hander who I got a chance to see at the uh, the Future Stars game, but uh, probably not someone you pencil in to start the season. So, uh, yeah, you need at least two starters, and I think you're right, uh, Casey. Maybe that third guy that's a strong back-end type, maybe a Sean Manaya or somebody like that on the free agent market that uh, – uh, who upped his velocity this past year and that you really believe fits your ballpark and the way you like to pitch would make a lot of sense as a third guy for uh, for the Cardinals. I can see it. I can see the Cardinals winning the division next year. That that division is terrible. It's it's Cubs and Cardinals unless the Pirates and the Reds do something significant in player acquisition this winter. So uh, I certainly agree with the direction it appears the Cardinals are going. So in the American League, I chose the Red Sox. Now, I was just talking about the Thag. The Red Sox last season were 78 and 84. Their Pythag says they just should have been 500. Obviously, big time, big time roster issues there. Most of that is on the pitching side. That Red Sox offense, though, even considering it is a fairly hitter friendly ballpark, I think we can all agree that's not a pitcher's haven by any stretch of the imagination. But that pitching staff, though, uh, whether Chris Sale is healthy all year or not, first of all, you're not going to be able to bank on that. You're not going to be able to plan on that. You're not going to be able to bank on that. But that ballpark behind Coors Field over the last three years is the best hitters ballpark in baseball. And that offense, that lineup was 11th in the majors in runs scored, Casey. That is a significant problem for the Boston Red Sox. And you know what? It really sucks about this. Yes, they lost Xander Bogarts. Uh, Trevor Story's been inconsistent, hasn't been in the lineup a ton. Alex Verdugo's been pretty good. But the biggest issue last year, as they finished sixth in the American League alone in runs scored, and were slightly below average in WRC+. But you look at that, you, you take a step closer to that and get a closer look at that. Rafael Devers was good, but he wasn't great. And, and that's a problem. Xander Bogarts is no longer there. Devers was the guy that was paid big time. Just turned 27 years old. Age is not the, uh, not the thing here. But the last two years, he went for 38 homers and 27 homers and hit 33 this year. That's not the issue. Uh, he had 280 and 295. He had 271 this year. That's not really the issue. He slugged over 500 again. That's not really the issue. What is the issue? Well, the issue is while the league was getting better because of the rule changes, uh, there was more offense. Rafael Devers basically stayed the same from a performance standpoint. So he's not the difference maker at the end of the day that he was the last couple of years. And he needs to get back to that. That's the number one key for the Boston Red Sox. But as much as they're going to go out and look at fixing this pitching situation, because when you look at, you talked about the, uh, the Cardinals struggling, struggling with the uh, uh, their pitching staff, and particularly particularly their rotation. The Boston Red Sox were just as bad, if not worse. Uh, the ERA was four and a half, 
And when you break that down into uh, uh, rotation versus bullpen, um, this is a rotate 12th in the American League with an ERA of almost 470. And all the other runs metrics back that up. They did not do a good job of keeping runners off base. And then once they got on, keeping them from scoring one of the, the four lowest left on base percentages in baseball uh, for their starting staff alone. And then when you go to the bullpen, it was, they had some guys, they had some guys that did some things, but they didn't do a good job preventing runs from scoring. Again, they were uh, ninth in the American league and left on base percentage. If you want to win a division, if you want a, you want to win a world series, you're going to have to do one of two things with your pitching staff, not allow a lot of base runners for your bullpen to clean up or be really good at stranding them. So the Texas Rangers scored a bunch of runs. So they built themselves a cushion. They were one of the worst teams and left on base percentage in the bullpen. And they still got to, and then ended up winning the world series. Although these, those are full season numbers and they were helped by Jordan Montgomery in their rotation for, uh, the last couple of months of the season, but that Boston Red Sox club, they don't really have a hat to hang on in the rotation really, or in the bullpen. And the rotation. I don't know how, yeah. I don't the know how they're going to do it, but their money has to go to both the pitching staff and the lineup. And you would think like an 80, 20 split, they're going to have to be more aggressive than they've been in years. Casey. Yeah. You take, and, and taking what you said about the ballpark into factor and it being a good hitting ballpark, but they were fifth worst in allowing home runs in the majors. The four in front of them are Oakland, Washington, the Reds, and Colorado, not teams necessarily known for having good pitching. Uh, Twenty or uh, Sixth is the Yankees. So they're lucky in that way that they're in the division with another team that can't pitch either. But uh, you can't be giving up one and a half home runs for nine innings and expect right. to win a lot of uh, expect to win a lot of games. You know, so That's pretty great. and even on uh, the road, even on the road, their homer per nine is one point four the worst in the league uh, other than Oakland and Kansas city. That's even on the road. Um, that's not something that can continue. Now it's not like they don't have some guys, Nick Pavetta. We talked about him, Chris sale, if he's healthy, uh, he's got a chance. Cutter Crawford had a good year, but they don't really have that guy. I mean, if Chris sale didn't have the injury thing, we'd be talking about Chris sale. Well, at least they got Chris sale and then they can kind of build the rotation behind there. I would, if I'm a Red Sox fan, Casey, I'm really freaking disappointed. If I don't go hard after Yamamoto and, and or and hard after Aaron Nola and hard after Jordan Montgomery and and try to get two of these guys, I would be disappointed. It does sound though like Yamamoto is keen on the Northeast, is keen on New York, is keen on Boston. Uh, and if that stays true, it'd be interesting to see in that division, like what are the Yankees? This is one of the most fun things to do, by the way. If the Red Sox, the Yankees want Yamamoto, it's pretty clear, right? If the Red Sox get Yamamoto, what do the Yankees do? <laughs> and if the Yankees get Yamamoto, then what in the world do the Red Sox do? Do they pour that 200 plus million dollars into two other starters? They get like Sonny Gray for 480 and and also add Blake Snell or something like that. I just think uh, uh, while teams don't necessarily react that way to other teams, but the fact that in that scenario, the Red Sox would have lost out on their number one target. So what's their reaction to that? fascinates me over the offseason but i do see a ton of things in boston i like rafael Devers is going to bounce back at least a little bit it's gonna be at least 10 percent better maybe 15 20 25 better he's capable of that at the plate entering his prime years 27 years old 
Uh, Alex Verdugo is a solid, consistent, uh, above average to plus offensive contributor. Uh, he throws well. He's not a great outfielder, but he throws well. Uh, that's a guy you can put somewhere in your lineup, almost anywhere in your lineup. He's kind of a Michael Brantley, uh, kind of the new age Michael Brantley. He's not really great at anything except putting the ball in play hitting for average, and he tends to do that. Uh, their first baseman, Tristan Case, like that's a guy um, that they can kind of say, he's our first baseman for the next several years. Let's not worry about first base. Now we can go out and say, can we find an everyday shortstop? Can we find it? Or if we want to throw a story back at shorts, can we find an everyday second baseman? Can we find uh, some outfield help? Well, here's why I picked the Boston Red Sox, Casey. If you are in the market, while there's not a lot of bats out there, if you're in the market for something offensively and, it, and you happen to have space in your outfield, this market does have that. Teoscar Hernandez, you could trade for Josh Bell, who – opted in in Miami. You could probably trade for Michael Conforto in San Francisco, uh, Jorge Soler, DH slash outfielder. Um, there's lots of those types. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel, if you're looking for another basically Alex Verdugo type guy who not a plus guy, not going to hit 40 home runs, but is a good defender, solid contributor, consistent. He's not going to break the bank for you. Um, you could try and make uh, you could try and make a deal for for that kind of it. outfielders are easier to acquire and that's why i think the boston red sox are in a pretty good position here's a prediction i'm going to make we talked about willie adamas in the brewers i think willie adamas ends up in boston Ooh. a shortstop for them i like hopefully it. hopefully trevor story's healthy at second base uh for the red sox sake if he's not you know you you have your backup plan which you you had to uh uh, you had to, uh, you know, deploy this year a lot more than you, you know, really wanted to. Uh, but when you look at that club, there's already some interesting guys. Um, uh, you get Luis Urias is, is an interesting guy to, to have on your bench. He'll get on base a little bit, make some contact, um, certainly draw walks. Justin Turner walked, so you don't necessarily have, you know, that spot. But he wasn't great anyway. Um, but when you look at what they had at second base last year, there wasn't really a ton. Some guys that did some things, Emmanuel Valdez was actually pretty decent for them. I mentioned Urias. Um, they probably need another answer there. So if you get if you go Adamas and play him at short and you play Trevor Story at second base, you hope Trevor Story's healthy, and then you go out and say, who is the guy that's going to back up Trevor Story at second base in case he gets hurt? Because you know what, Casey? Trevor Story is going to get hurt. He was only healthy for 36 games last year. But Boston needs to, to get back. And this is maybe the biggest key. I don't think they need to spend $300 million. But Boston needs to get back to acting like the elite market they are. They did spend $222 million in luxury tax money last year. So it's not nothing, right? It, it's not. But when they were at their height, they were top three to five in the league. They were fifth and 22, sixth and 21, eighth and 20, first and 2019, first and 18, uh, six, five, three, five, three, two since 2012. Tons of top fives, top sixes, and a couple of number ones and number twos. They need to get back there. They were 12th in tax payroll last year. It's the Boston freaking Red Sox. Get aggressive, make some additions. And that's one of the reasons, Casey, I would not rule out Juan Soto or the Boston Red Sox. I know that we've heard the Yankees, we've heard the Mets, we've heard lots of things. We've heard the Rangers, we've heard the Astros for Juan Soto, we've heard the Cubs for Juan Soto. 
I would not rule out the Boston Red Sox. Would solve a lot of their issues. They'd give them a bat, mostly a DH, but he could probably learn to play right field at Fenway for a little bit as well. That's why I picked the Boston Red Sox to be the uh, the most likely team in the American League that didn't make the playoffs, didn't even contend uh, for most of the year uh, to get back. That AL East, tough, Casey, but it seems to be – what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's not all that stable. I don't, like, we don't know what the Yankees are going to look like. That was an 82-win team this year. I, I don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles overachieved by seven games, even according to Pathag. Like, it's still probably at least a 90-win team, and they want to get better. So I think they're for real to some level. But is that a 100-win team for real? Not necessarily. The Tampa Bay Rays, maybe a little fragile. Maybe a little fragile with the Shane McClanahan stuff, with the Warner Franco stuff. You know, maybe they have to do some things for payroll. Maybe they have to trade glass now. Maybe they have to, maybe they have to move things around because of the positions that we're talking about with all those guys at third base, first base, DH. Um, I think Boston can get back. I do. I think they get back. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays baffle me. Um, they seem to make good moves, and they just don't seem to work out a lot of times. I'm not talking about the Varsha one either. Like you had Chris Bassett after after adding Jose Barrios a couple of years before, and you just have the worst luck in Alec Manoa completely falling off planet Earth. If Alec Manoa was a number three last year, don't the Blue Jays win at least five more games? I mean, there's there's direct value. And then there's indirect value about having a top of the rotation starter. And he turned into a gigantic, gigantic nothing burger for them. It's the most baffling thing I can remember in baseball in the last 20 years. So weird. The Mariners, man. The Mariners ruined him. I'm telling you. Yeah, and I know Mariners fans like to say that. But I think something burgers ruined him. I said called him a nothing burger, but I think the fact that burgers exist is really part of that. You know, um, maybe didn't take his conditioning, you know, uh, you know, serious enough. But man, he just he turned into one of the, he was one of the best five stars in the American League in 2022. No matter which way you looked at it, like five was the worst you could you could the worst spot you could put him in. You couldn't justify anything lower than that. And you could even say he was the best. And now he's like not playable. Like if he was a prospect, Casey, he would have been uh, 60 grade blue chip with a Cy Young upside. And now you're just writing the letters NP or CP next to his name. NP being non-prospect and some of the old school scouts would write CP. Can't play, can't pitch. That's It's remarkable. But I think the AL East is a little more open and susceptible for a team like Boston to jump up or a team like New York to jump up and get into the top two or so and be a legitimate contender and get into the postseason next year. So I'm gonna choose the Red Sox because I think, I mean, there is payroll available. They do spend. They even spent 222 last year, 225 last year. And I think there are signs that they're willing to spend this year. We've heard them connected to Otani. We've heard them connected to Yamamoto. So I don't think that happens unless uh, ownership in the front office, the new front office, uh, have been kind of told that, hey, we're going to be able to spend some money. So there you go. We'll see. Uh, after this podcast sits for uh, about six months, Casey, so six months puts us where? It puts us to like April. So let's say seven months. So at the end of May, Casey, here's here's your job now. At the end of May, if the Boston Red Sox are terrible, I need you to delete this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and Straight out of the delete, archive. And especially delete this episode if the Red Sox do a bunch of stuff 
and are still terrible. And the Cardinals did a bunch of stuff and were good because I don't want this episode to live out there where you were dead on and I was dead wrong. I can't have it. You know what? You know, maybe instead I'll, I'm going to repost it for a week straight. Repost. In that event. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> Seven boy. days a week. Um, on that note, Casey, I have um, an update on your paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Good oh, stuff. Uh, we'll talk in next week. I think Joe Doyle is going to be back. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get busy on uh, on some more clubs and free agency. And hopefully we have some trades and, and, uh, and free agent signings to discuss. But uh, uh, until then, uh, sit and be patient, I guess. Um, or you can... Uh, or you can deploy the what I like to call Jason intelligence. It's J-I, not A-I. Find ways where you don't have to be patient. Just find a way around having to be patient. Because patience blows. And yes, I'm a child when it comes to patience in a lot, a lot of ways. But it's all connected to baseball, I promise you. Uh, you, think Joe, you, think Joe's, you think Joe's coming back on the show? I don't know. I can't get you guys to link up now. Every It's either me and Joe or you. Three weeks or in me a row, right? Yeah. Three weeks in a row. So no, wait, two no, wait, weeks wait, in a row. We talked last two. year. We talked last week. Right? Yeah. I was back. Did we yeah, all so talk two, out of the last, two out of the last three weeks, right? We were on yeah. last week, right? Yeah. 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 You guys can only deal know. with each other once a month. What year is it? I can't remember anything. This has been a week where I felt like I was soaking in a river. Um don't ask me what that means. It just, it felt right. Uh, uh, I do a party parting shot. shot. I have party a parting shot, shot. Uh, because we talked about a Luis Arias a whole bunch today. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out today at oh, seven o'clock or so. Okay. That, seven o'clock uh, Eastern while we were recording. That uh, Luis Arias is um, open. I like to how you say Arias, by the way. How is Arias. it supposed to be said? I, it should be a rise. Don't get me wrong. Like rise, right? Apparently, yeah. it's a rise, like A R I S E. Okay. okay. A rise. So right. uh, I'm just gonna whatever. call him Luis. We'll just call him Luis. Luis. Yeah. L A. Luis A. <laughs> so a rise. Uh, yeah. What is, was is he's open to an extension? Uh, oh, he would like to be God. back in Miami. How kind but, of him. Uh, <laughs> the. Uh, the Marlins have not talked to him, however, about an extension, and that is probably more the news here. So, um, yeah. although it's early, it is early in the. Uh, it is early, yeah. But yeah, you, but you would have thought if they were going to do that, they might have. They probably reached out here. at this point, yeah. Yeah. So interesting, interesting. Uh, if I am not mistaken, by the way, um, Luis Arise. And it shouldn't be a rise. Don't get me wrong. I'm with you. It should be a rise. Should like, be a riot. Come on, man. Like, yeah. Um, silent E in the A sounds like an I. Get out of here, man. Like, I, I don't know what. What are you trying to do to me? Yeah. And the Z is an S now. I mean, come on. What are we doing? I know. Um, I believe Luis Arise is represented by MVP. I think that's his agency. MVP is very proactive in getting the player where they want to be. Very play, very uh, player. Let's make the player happy. So if the player says, "I'd like to make a bunch of money, but I want to be here," that means he wants to make a bunch of money, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the most money possible. And if Arise wants to return to Miami, you got to think there's a chance that he gives up a couple of bucks to be able to stay there. And you can understand him wanting to stay there. The weather, the location, Miami Beach. 
maybe he thinks he's going to run into LeBron. I don't know. Um, yeah, interesting. Good stuff. Uh, is that really a parting shot, though? I guess it's not, but but I wanted to get that. I wanted to get yeah. throw that in there. So much appreciate that. Um, my my parting shot is I don't love Bryce Harper at first base. If they really think it's necessary because they don't want him throwing, or for some reason he can't throw, fine. But what are we what are we what are we talking about here? How old is Bryce Harper? Seventeen? Like he doesn't like he's been around for twenty eight years, but he's still not that old. He's thirty one. I mean, they're going to make the decision that's best for the team and best for the players. It's my, I don't love that that's where we're at already with, with Bryce Harper, who just turned 31 years old. I think um, I'm just surprised that they they are limiting it to full-time first baseman. Because to me, yeah. why wouldn't you, if you're going to play him primarily at first place, fine. But you can still throw him out in right field. I, I suppose they could still know, do that. I guess 13 times a year or whatever. Yeah, and I guess they could probably still do that or play him at DH or whatever, of course, but... Maybe maybe that's just how they're going about their offseason. Like, we don't need a first baseman. You know, we have a guy that can back up first base. We go to Baum or we can go to a shore where we can go to another guy if we want to play Harper out in right field 20 times. But maybe this is about, like, what do we do with the outfield? What do we do with, you know, other positions on the field? But Harper's are Harper's going to be the, the main first baseman, so we don't need to do that. And maybe that was about Reese Hoskins. Yeah, and, and they came out and, and told – Reese Hoskins, I think the news yeah. was that, he, that they're not bringing him back, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, Harper, so we're not bringing back Hoskins. And then the next conversation they have is Harper's going to be our first baseman. So, it kind of links together. I just don't love it. I, I don't love it. Mike Trout is not a good center fielder anymore, is still a pretty good left fielder. And, yeah. but Harper, man, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to bitch about it. He, he's still stealing 10, 15 bases a year and, and uh, it's still great. And I, I'm a big, Bryce Harbor fan and, and uh, it's incredible though and this will be my parting shot and that might be what he something he wants he might have wanted it he might have might have wanted it yeah. absolutely I just don't love that that's where we are you know not that the Phillies are dumb or whatever but just like I hate that we're there yeah <laughs> this no, is a guy who was a catcher in high school who I saw at the College of Southern Nevada caught one day played third base the next day and played center field on day three and like went six for seven with five blocks and three bombs at 17 years old. And now he's at first base at 31. Like, I, I, I just don't like the, I don't like how that sounds. I, I just don't like it. Uh, my parting shot here is uh, Joe Doyle. Um, so Joe brings nothing to the table on this show. I just wanted to get that out there. Okay. Um, Joe comes on this show with his pompous attitude and his his no nothing his notebook full of nothing he's got nothing right and we let him on our show Casey we let him join us on the show for his benefit and then he has the nerve to get in his car and go on a road trip while we're recording I just don't get it. We're slaving away here, and uh, yeah, I know this is hard and, work, man. And, and, and work. Joe, I said, and I said we weren't going to go an hour and a half, but here we are because yeah. it's hard work. Yep. And by the way, right. for those out there, I'm terrible at projecting how long a podcast is going to last. Casey knows this as well. <laughs> I am terrible. I'm like, ah, probably only going to be 40 minutes, say hour 22. Probably only going to be 
you know, an hour today, hour 40, you know, like I'm terrible at that. Absolutely. Terrible. I'm the worst, right? Yeah. I'm the worst. Yeah. I mean, I think that's my parting think, shot is I'm the worst, but Joe Doyle is worse than I am. I think my parting shot is going to be that next week, this is going to be a 45 minute podcast. <laughs> Uh, it probably will be because Joe will have like this hard out at like 3:45 or something. <laughs> he usually does. Yeah, you know what we should does. start doing. By the way, we should start like, all right, Joe, if you have a hard out at 3:45, at 3:45, you just you just leave, just leave, and Casey yeah. and I will continue. We'll be like, all right, Joe, see you, man, and then we'll just keep talking. Like that's what I think. Right. Yeah, I like that idea. We'll let him sign off, throw a parting shot, and then that way our parting shots can be talking crap about Joe because he's already gone. Behind his back, my favorite type of parting shot behind his back. And there's no way he can find out. You know why? He doesn't know how to play podcasts. He doesn't know how to do it. You think Joe's going to listen to the show? Him, so he doesn't know how to listen. Yeah. We're really going to gonna know if Joe listens to this show. If he doesn't listen to the he show. He asked me once, I promise this is true. He asked me once, hey, what channel on the radio is the podcast on? <laughs> All right. We'll get back to baseball next week for Casey Bellin, for Joe Doyle, who's not here. Thank you. Goodness, he's not here. I'm Jason Churchill. This has been the FSS Plus Podcast. So just chill to the next episode.